To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on Guy Eastman. Guy Eastman has been tapped into this Western hunting for years. And he also has a bunch of contacts in the industry, whether that's biologists, guides and outfitters, or his other hardcore hunting buddies that he chats with. And so he just has such a great working knowledge of these states, uh, tags offered, um, trends in these tags, and also what affects, affects these hunts as far as uh, moisture, as far as bad winters, and how these states are recovering. And so we do a run through the western states and some of the opportunities out there. We also um, we talk about um, some of the secrets in the application or some of the, the good opportunities that are out there to uh, take advantage of some of these western states, whether it's muzzleloading or whether it's some of these late, late archery hunts in Arizona. So we chat about that, and then we also just chat about western hunting. Um, they say guy has a trophy room full of big bucks, big bulls, sheep, uh, African game, Marco Polo, like uh, he's really been around the block and um, he just knows what it takes to to be successful. And so it just made for a fascinating conversation. Uh, he's one of my favorite people to sit down with. I really enjoyed it and I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. I want to thank my sponsor for today's show, Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse has multiple locations all over the West and all over the United States. Um, it, it's an actual store that you can go in, uh, you can, you can try on gear, you can see how the fit is, you can look through their glass, you can compare it with other glass. They just have, uh, everything in there and a real knowledgeable staff. Uh, they've got, uh, uh, passionate people that are knowledgeable in their field that are running the gun department, that are running the optics department, the bow department, um, and all the other fishing and everything else they offer there. And I just love being able to go into a real store and, and touch and feel and look at it and uh, pick out what I need. So if you guys are in the market for anything that has to do with camping, hunting, fishing, make sure to check out a sportsman's warehouse near you. Uh, they just run a great operation. We really appreciate their support here on the podcast. Over at Eastman's, man, we're getting ready for this application season. Uh, I've seen the MRSs coming out in the back of the magazine. So when you're a scriber, subscriber of Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal or Eastman's Hunting Journal, uh, you get this MRS section, the Members Research section. And you'll hear us talk about it in the podcast today. Uh, but this has been an evolution of years. And and I really use this as a tool to figure out where I want to apply out west. So it's just a, uh, a great section. We also have all this data compiled and more in our uh, Tag Hub, which is our internet research tool. Uh, so if you're in the market for figuring out where to hunt out west, make sure to check those out. Uh, make sure to check out uh, our internet TV show, Beyond the Grid. You can search Eastman's Hunting TV and it'll pop up there. Uh, we should have some new films coming out here shortly. Um, check out the, the film we did on Imperial, uh, which is a, a film about Wyoming 
migration and just some some awesome videography in there uh, uh, great bucks and and how that migration works and some of the work that wyoming fishing game is doing to to protect this resource for years to come so it's an amazing film you can check out that look for us on the outdoor channel eastman's hunting tv we have some great episodes that come out there and um Man, we're just working hard to get you guys the good information that'll help make you more successful. Uh, I know that magazine. I love writing articles for the magazine. Uh, I just had one come out in the the previous issue. And if you guys didn't get it, you can just uh, request that issue if you get a subscription. But um, yeah, it was in the last issue about next level e-scouting something I put together that I was really proud of, of kind of my process of picking these tags in these areas. Uh, I think it came out really good. So check that out. Uh, check out our podcast. Um, uh, not only Eastman's Elevated, I really appreciate your guys' support with this one. Uh, if you guys are into fly fishing, you can check out my other podcast, Eastman's Flycast. And um, we also have a Wingman podcast that's done by Todd Helms, the editor at Eastman's, um, which our nickname for him is the Wing Nut. <laughs> for, uh, but he just loves to wing shoot. Guy loves to fly fish, too. Uh, I have him on Flycast quite a bit. We'll have another episode coming up. But he just loves adventure, and he's a, a great guy to talk to, and he's doing a great job with that Wingman podcast. So if you're a bird hunter, check that out. And, um, man, with that, let's get into this podcast. Uh, so it's Guy Eastman, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Okay, I've got Guy Eastman today. I'm over at the Eastman's office. Um, man, it's always fun to sit down with you, Guy. Yeah, thanks for uh, dropping by. That was a surprise. Scott just came to my office and said, can you do a podcast with Brian? I said, when? He said, Right now, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess so. I didn't even know you were in the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been orchestrating and organizing. They thought it'd be a good time to come over with uh, Baker being over here. So, yeah, yep. I'm just fortunate to have you on the podcast. Uh, bet you've been getting your apps in, huh? Yep, getting ready to start. I don't, of course, I'm a resident of Wyoming, so I don't have to do that one till Wyoming out till uh, May myself, but everybody else is having to do it by the end of the month here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for me, Arizona's the first one up next yep. month in february but yep yeah i got in my arizona got in my wyoming gosh it'd be fun to draw one of those arizona tags down there you know it seems like there's some it seems like there's some opportunity to if if a guy's aggressive you know the tough thing is is once you build points and you have years into putting into these places you know i, I want to go down there and hunt a rut hunt with my bow i yeah um, but they offer some unique opportunities like with those late season hunts and some really good units down there in arizona at least for a bow they do they yeah. do some of the later later season hunts they're not easy no but but i mean the big bulls are still there they're out don't migrate far so mm-hmm. i mean they're, they're there somewhere it's just a matter of getting in on them and i tell you i think this year is going to be a good year in arizona uh, yeah? most yeah my well my wife's from there in flagstaff mm-hmm. born and raised in flagstaff so my brother-in-laws live there and i'll tell you they have been getting hammered with snow hammered because my father-in-law has covid so he's been sitting in his room looking out the window sending me pictures and complaining he can't uh, he's got to have the neighbor kid come shovel his walkway you know, twice a day sometimes. So they've had some dumps, like two, couple feet. Whoa, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was real dry. Last year was a really tough year for them down there. Those drought years are tough down there in the south, aren't they? Yeah. 
Yeah. So this will be. I think this will be a much better year to draw it than last year was. Man, if you could just choose the year you're going to draw it. I know. <laughs> I know. My, I have a friend, Tony Martins. He lives down there, over on the other side by Sholo. But he drew the Arizona Strip last year. He'd been putting in for it for almost 20 years. Finally drew it on a drought year. Killed a nice buck, but yeah. not certainly not the normal bucks that are in there on a good year. So. You know, it, it, there is a lot of risk to that. I mean, you don't know what that year's going to be like. You draw that tag, you know, you're you're locked in on it, good, bad, or indifferent, and there you have to make the best out of it. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, that's kind of a tough deal with those draws when it's a lot of random uh, component to it. You're, oh, you're, you're so get committed. Stuck with it. Yep. Yeah, no, you're right. You're so committed. Well, and you just got to hunt it hard the year you have it, hope you draw a good year. But but it does seem like down there in the south, uh, it, it does seem like they're a little bit more finicky down there with their moisture. You know, yep. you draw a Wyoming tag, you know, you know, each and every year you're going to have a good chance at a good bull. But but down there, it, it's really tied to that drought and that moisture. Yep, their, their droughts are our winners. Mm-hmm. You know, our bad winners oh. are what, what really – hurts our wildlife yes. down there it's the drought okay I mean, they're, they're not getting winter kill in arizona mm-hmm. i don't contrary to what some of my family members down there think they don't know what real winter is i mean they know <laughs> what snow is and they're high elevation but they don't know what 35 below and snowing sideways 20 mile an hour wind is mm-hmm. you know, you know <laughs> up in montana i mean that's a whole different ball of wax but the, you know they will get winter kill like uh, mortality on a drought year, mm-hmm. you know, mo- but it's mostly with the calves and the fawns. Mm-hmm. So you don't see it for four or five years where mm-hmm. for us, it's, it's the fawns too, but a lot of the older uh, bucks are, you know, bucks mostly will take it, but it's hard to kill an elk. You know, they can live in about anything, but the horn growth is what tends to suffer. Elk are hardy. Those, those mule deer have a tough time yeah. with those winters and deep snow and getting down to good feed and, Boy, nothing sets us back up here north as a bad winter like you're talking about. Yep. It just wreaks havoc on those mule deer populations. And just like you were saying, you know, it gets the young and the old, but you, you almost miss, miss that younger age class. You know, you lose a class of deer there a couple years, and then that older age class those more mature deer. And it, it takes years to recover from one of those things. So how do you think Wyoming's recovering from the last bad winter you guys had? Well, we had two back to back, sixteen and seventeen, and it was uh, it was pretty rough. You know, of course, they had over a about a hundred, little over a hundred fawns collared, and they had nine over ninety nine percent mortality. Gosh. I think they had one survive out of oh all, over a hundred in twenty seventeen. So that was pretty rough. So, you know, you have to do the math on that. Okay, what was that four years ago? So, there's our four year old bucks. They're just not there, and that's when they start getting into that trophy class size yes four and five and six so you it blows a hole in that chain of age mm-hmm. so we've got a double hole in that so the the four and fives are missing so you're going to see you know some a few six sevens eights which is about max is what everyone's looking for and then the twos and threes there should be gobs of them i mean we've had the easiest winter you guys probably have too i've ever mm-hmm. seen yes. so far knock on wood uh, so they should be the opposite of that. I, I can't imagine anything, you know, that's healthy, yet remotely healthy, dying this winter so far. So, you know, they bounce back, but it's it's just an ebb and a flow. But so far this year, we've had really, really easy, easy winter. Moisture's now a concern, mm-hmm. you know. Um, last year, 
like we said, the elk you can hardly kill them. I, you know, they're they're just tough. They'll survive. Just about. I mean, if you got elk dying, it's either disease or something really extreme. Mm-hmm. But the horn growth is what is a concern. Last year we had such a hot, dry summer, and a dry fall. Of course, by fall they're done. But you know that early spring summer up until about the tenth of July, that those elk. You know, we had lots of elk, but we didn't have the giants we usually do in some of these areas. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the the 320s were, you know, the potential 340s or 350s. Um, so the hunting was good, but the quality was off. Mm-hmm. And you, you really need uh, uh, the, the growing season to be good in its entirety, or otherwise you can get the weak fronts uh, from the start of the growth or the weak top end towards the end. Yep. Yep, you need that spring green up at the right time and to be consistent, you know, through the summer, not too much all yep. at once, not too little, you know, smooth, smooth sailing. So you never know. That's a part of the problem with a draw you put in in January, like we talked about in Arizona. You know, once you draw, you're, you're stuck with it, good, bad, or indifferent, and just hope for the best. But, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, Wyoming, more and more of our elk are out in the desert regions. And so they're more like Arizona. They are really susceptible to the drought conditions. You know, these high country bulls, usually they'll find it. They'll find a good feed, even if there's not a lot of it. They'll just keep going higher and higher until they're up with the sheep if they have to mm-hmm. um, and do okay. But the elk in a lot of the harder to dry areas, it's more arid. And you're playing with the, the drought conditions. So hopefully we get some good spring and summer moisture here. It's going to be another rough one for us oh, for gonna, horn growth. We're going to need some. Keep yeah. those rivers running too. I know. Yeah, there is just not much snowpack around anywhere in Wyoming, mm-hmm. Montana right now. No, I have not had to shovel my driveway yet, <laughs> you know. And But I, I will say I have seen years like this where February, March come around, it snows every single week. Yep you know, it stacks up. I mean, historically speaking, really our high country, a lot of our high country really stacks the, the moisture on in February, March, and even April. Absolutely. You know? We're the same way. So we get it, a, it's not over yet. No. By any means. Yeah. And, and it usually seems when we have such a mild start to the winter that, uh, uh, that it gets pretty ferocious during those spring months. Like you say, uh, uh, snow and cold and cold fronts coming in. So, yeah, I yep. think we still have some moisture to get. Hopefully we get some here for horn growth and things. Yep, but. and that's when the moisture has all – the snow has the water in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the early snow is light and crispy and not a lot of moisture uh, component to it. Yep. That February – or even February, March, April, May snow. It's wet. Wet. A lot of moisture in it, so yeah. hopefully, hopefully that turns around. But I, it is good for the deer, you know, for them. I think to come off into the into the winter range easy, having a nice rut, or we don't have a lot of really bad weather. Mm-hmm. Come off the rut, you know, into some easy weather and not get hit in the face with the thirty, forty below right off the bat. So I think the deer. Well, I know the deer are doing very well. I've talked to Gary over there, and he's been watching his deer over G. Oh, that's region good G to hear. So he that's said your that he, biologist friend, Yeah, right? he's the biologist over in Region G, and he said the deer look as, as good as he ever, he's ever seen. So, Boy, that's so good that's, news. That's good news coming mm-hmm. off of a couple rough years, four or five years ago. But mm-hmm. You think um, Colorado is probably recovering the same as, as Wyoming? They had that same bad winter in 17, and now they, 
Uh, I think the dogs are starting to really show up there. I, you know, I don't know how much havoc they're wreaking on the on the elk or whatnot. But you think uh, Colorado has recovered? I th- I hope so. You know, they've had a really rough go. You know, ours has been a little up and down. You know, here and here and there. Colorado's been kind of on a slide for a while, both their deer and their elk. You know, Wyoming's elk are going up, up, up. We've got more elk than ever in this state. They're just not where they used to be. They used to all be around Yellowstone, and now, you know, with the wolf situation, all that, now they're they're more spread out throughout the state. I mean, but Colorado's really had trouble with their elk and their deer struggling, mm-hmm. and so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword down there. But I hope they're starting to recover because it's such a great state oh, it's such for a hunting, great state. I mean, quality-wise. Such great genetics and yep. uh, great habitat country yep. for them. Yeah, I, there's so many variables there in Colorado, and I'm due to put in and draw one of my favorite units down there again. But just so unsure with the, the season date changes and how that affected deer harvest down there. Have you heard anything about that no i haven't i haven't been paying as much attention to colorado i'm kind of the wyoming guy i hunt down there and apply down there but i haven't drawn a tag in in a long time really Mm -hmm. so i haven't been paying as much attention to it as i probably should you probably know a lot more me well yeah i was just wondering because they shifted all the seasons uh, a week later you know and so i wondered if their deer harvest was going to go up from that or uh um, see if the the population was going to be affected, or if it didn't make a uh, you know didn't make a big deal one way or the other. You know, right? But, I yeah. know you know I can gauge some of this just by the stories and articles we get in the magazine from certain states, certain species, and Colorado has really struggled the last few years. Wow. Okay. You know, I mean, there there was years ten years ago, a decade ago. We do our put our mule deer issue together, and I would be going through because I select all the stories by hand, me and Todd, and I'd have to intentionally put other uh, big bucks back in the hopper for a different issue because it was just going to be the Colorado <laughs> issue. You know, like, you know, this is the mule deer issue, but it can't all be Colorado. So we'd have to make phone calls and shake the trees to find you know stories that were non-Colorado. For big bucks, but, you know, that certainly hasn't been the case recently. I think the plains out east are producing some okay. good bucks. They always will. All that ag. You can't have that genetic with mule deer and all that agriculture and not have big bucks. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's not what everybody's necessarily looking for. They want those high country bucks in the mountains where they should be, and that's what's struggled, I think, down there. Yep. It's, it's tough, too, because Colorado, you know, they can come from anywhere in Colorado yeah. there's so many good units down there and so many good you know for a bow hunter zero to one point units down there but it's always a gamble you never quite know what you're going to get or what the mule deer population is down there and, and and even you know some of those units that I've tried out that just have such amazing high country and mule deer habitat but but the the population just isn't there and then other places you find that same good habitat and then there's hundreds of bucks living up and through there but um i i do like colorado is that you know i think i've hunted five different units down there in colorado you can almost hunt a different unit every time you go down and have a chance at a big buck yeah colorado has the most counties with boone and crockett entries of any state by far Mm -hmm. like and they just have a lot of counties in that state to start with just mm-hmm. the way it's structured, but they have uh, um, almost every county in that state has produced a, a record book buck. Hmm. It, it is incredible. That is. But 
you know, which ones produce a lot of them, I guess, is the, is the key. But like you said, it doesn't matter. I don't care what area you draw. There is a chance at a big buck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may be a slight chance, but you have a chance, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere in that state. I like their genetics, too. They build those big mountain deer, the big 300, 350-pound yeah. bodies, and, uh, yep. you know, which grow big antlers. Um, and, and they have that, that high country you know, the, the bucks prefer that high country and that stuff and prefer to migrate up and down through that. And I just love those high country bucks they are so fun to hunt that in that place. Yep. They have literally probably almost every kind of habitat for mule deer you could imagine, but that state was just built for mule, big mule deer mm-hmm. and just, just the way it, it is, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's far enough South, the, you know, to insulate it from the horrible winters that we tend to get here in Wyoming and Montana but it's far enough north that they don't have the real bad droughts as much as Arizona and whatnot. And they have the volume, you know, they just have lots of deer mm-hmm. are capable of carrying a lot of deer. That state is in general. So it's kind of the best of all worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sure is. Um, you know, in all these states, they have good opportunities um, and there's still good opportunities out there. Like we were talking about, Arizona and that bow late hunt like I I've often thought about doing that just to put myself in one of those good units like you say all the bulls are still in that unit now it takes a different set of skills but it's kind of that set of skills you know that I know I cut my teeth with and I think you did too of hunting late season bulls like hunting them post rut which is the toughest time of year to hunt these elk but once you get to know them and get to know you know that they're bachelor herding up and that they're uh, you know, that they're really hiding after the rut. They want to find some hidey hole, some spot, some basin where they don't get bothered. Um, but once you learn to hunt those places and hike in and look at those spots and you get good at hunting those late season elk, I think a guy could be pretty effective down in that Arizona country. Now I hear a lot of the bulls get busted up, which is a shame to find a giant bull that's got busted tines, especially during post rut. But I just think there's some great opportunities for that. And I still think there's great opportunities you know, like we color code a lot of our units in the MRS, which is the mem- members research uh, section in there. And we color code them, you know, by uh, uh, statistics and, and, and by your insights, uh, blue, green, and yellow. And I, I make a lot of my hunts in that green section. There's still a lot of opportunity yeah. there for the bow hunter, for the rifle hunter. And then, um, gosh, it, it, it drives me nuts to look at some of the muzzleloader opportunity because I'm not a muzzleloader hunter, but there's a lot of great opportunity around this nation with the muzzleloader too. Have you, Yeah. you focus on uh, uh, rifle and bow. Do you ever get into those muzzleloader hunts? Yeah, I've hunted the muzzleloader a fair amount. Of course, you know, being from Wyoming, we don't have any muzzleloader seasons here. So we, it's kind of a foreign thing for, for us as Wyoming residents. But most of the states that uh, offer muzzleloader hunts, it's kind of the best of both worlds i mean they have a lot of guys think the bow hunters get the prime season but i'll tell you in a lot of states like colorado and and uh utah and stuff the they're giving the prime seasons really to the muzzleloader guys mm-hmm. well you know if you've hunted colorado when you're out there bow hunting now you can overlap mm-hmm. the muzzleloader season but just i so many people i know that have bow hunted in colorado digi included when it just started really rocking in come the muzzleloader guys, mm-hmm. you know, the elk rut. Yep. I mean, they get that 20, I think it's like the 20th to the 23rd, sometime like in that range that it opens for them. 
So, you know, if you have any bit of a little bit of a late rut hunt, they're they're in the peak mm-hmm. with their muzzle loaders. I think it's a good opportunity for guys that are looking for hunts, high opportunity hunts, because I think you're yeah. right. I think they just get prime season dates. And, you know, for, for elk, they get the, the, the rut dates, like you're saying, around the 22nd, 23rd, which are just money dates. But uh, they also get a good chance at early season mule deer. Yes. Uh, a lot of those uh, high country units will open September 10th for a muzzleloader. Yeah, I know three bucks over 250 in the 260 to 270 range in Colorado that were killed during the muzzleloader season by guys that knew the buck was there and couldn't get it killed in the rifle season or couldn't get the tag, ended up with a muzzleloader hunt and got the buck killed. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just, again, it's it's right on the cusp, right when they're about getting ready to lose the velvet, but still in the velvet. Mm-hmm. Gosh, those, um, how, so muzzleloaders, and it differs from state to state, like what components or what setup yeah. you can use. So Colorado's open sites, and they have some other restrictions there. Like um, how tough is it to get really good at a muzzleloader and be proficient at it? It seems, um, you know, and you can hear horror stories with any weapon, you know, but it, it seems like um, uh, sometimes those muzzleloaders can be less than effective. Like, what's the key to those things? You know, I think it depends how much they restrict you. You know, there's some states like, I believe, Utah, New Mexico, where it's un, basically unrestricted. There's very few restrictions. You just have to load it through the, the barrel pretty much. And then with scopes and stuff, those guys can shoot three, four hundred yards with those things. But if you have a state like Colorado or Idaho where it's really restricted, you know, it's honestly, Brian, it's not all that much more effective than your bow nowadays. I mean, that big buck in our office entryway from Kansas, I shot that with a muzzleloader, open sight, at 192 yards. And that was max, max, max. I mean, that was... That was a real poke. I remember with that gun. You filmed that you know. hunt, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we filmed. Yeah, I think I remember seeing the film so of that deer. That deer was just incredible. It pretty much covered the mm-hmm. the buck mm-hmm. almost the the sight at 190 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like put it in the center and come up a little bit and shoot. You know, the beauty of it, it's a 50 caliber bullet, so it's it's going to do major damage. It hits like an anvil. Okay, it's not like a an arrow that you know if you get a poorly placed shot it's it's a rodeo with a muzzleloader it it crushes the bone i mean you hit them it's does damage yeah, it's like, it a, like a rifle damage, going in there yeah. okay it wasn't and so, like how much do those um uh do the bullets weigh of those things uh you know depending what you use but you know 250 to 350 grams yeah you so know, they're so packing they're, a punch yeah, they're okay. packing a lot of punch. so it's um so for deer especially elk yeah. You know, you can hit them in the shoulder like you wouldn't want to shoot one with a bow. And it can – sometimes it can break their shoulder. And, some, you know, you can make a bad shot with a muzzleloader on elk just because they're so big. Mm-hmm. You know, because it doesn't have a lot of speed. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking a big bullet but handgun, you know, velocity. Yep. So, it, it you know, the trajectory is like this. <laughs> you know, the yeah. arc on it is in, insane. So, okay. So that's, that's kind of what – it's – it's kind of a blend between bow hunting and rifle hunting. I mean, it's real gadgety. You got to be really into practice and all that. You don't just grab your muzzleloader out there and go go out without practicing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's a lot to the load, the bullet, and then each state has its own laws on the type of powder and the type of bullet. So you're constantly having to monkey with all that stuff, you know, depending where you're going. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is far from a slam dunk. I know a lot of guys think, well, it's like a rifle, and it is not. Gotcha. It is definitely not. There is a lot that can go wrong on those things, mm -hmm. trust me. <laughs> but, uh, but some of the modern muzzleloaders, they're really effective. Okay. Probably overly effective, really. I mean, they're like a rifle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like anything. You just got to spend your time with it. Uh, get proficient, build your confidence, and, and know what your limit is, and and um, and then go out and execute, which is always a little tougher or a little easier said than done, you know. Yeah. That, that buck fever is real. <laughs> it's yeah. real. Like you talk about, and you're a really good shot with your rifle. You seem to make some good shots with your rifle, but it's not a given to make a good shot with a rifle. It's extremely difficult to, to be accurate during that crunch time. And the same thing with a bow. I can walk out with my flip-flops and, and outshoot anybody out there but boy, you put a big, big bull or a uh, a big buck in front of you. Boy, you you really got to compose yourself and execute a good shot. So, what would you say would be like um, some of your keys to success with your rifle? Like uh, uh, being so effective and efficient with that thing. You know, I think it's a lot of it's obviously practice, but real world practice. I mean, just going and shooting off the bench. That's fine. That's good for s making sure your weapon is on, mm -hmm. but. It's same with bow hunting. It's like shooting at your home, you know, home backyard all the time, the exact same way. You're going to get proficient with that, but that's not a real world scenario. I mean, this year in Montana, I, you know, had my bow all dialed in and whatnot, but, you know, you get out there on a steep hillside and you're shooting from your knees from under a tree or with your backpack on and four layers of clothes. I mean, every little thing changes that scenario and you have to just diversify your shooting constantly you know whether it's shooting prairie dogs or or whatever just practicing shooting uh steel or targets or whatever but you know practicing from prone position from sitting kneeling and knowing your limits there you know i mean shooting offhand you're 100 yards or less but mm -hmm. you know get on your stick shooting sticks you're probably 250 yards or less you know you get so you know out three four hundred yards you got to get flat on the ground with bipods i mean that's the way to make that shot so i think a lot of guys and i used to be the same way that don't hunt a lot they don't they constantly underthink when they're making that final stock what is this shot going to look like and preparing themselves for the way they have to shoot mm -hmm. you know i'm with a lot of guys sometimes they get up there to make the shot and they're looking around like okay do i shoot off the bipods do i shoot off the sticks do i lay on the ground and they're trying to make that decision once they're up there in the kill zone instead of p making that part of the plan okay i'm going to get to here that's going to be a 250 yard shot i'm going to shoot off my shooting sticks or off that rock or that tree or whatever you know planning that ahead of time instead of scrambling you know, for the best shooting position or rest you can find at the moment, and it can cost you. That's you know. good insight. Yeah, you're spot on on that guy. Uh, uh, real world, world situations. And so practicing, yeah, you get that rifle, just like you're saying, you get the rifle doped off the bench, and you make sure it likes your loads, it's shooting good groups, that the rifle's going to perform. And then from there on out, 
you you should be setting up in the field and and setting up with the stuff you're going to have whether that's your pack or whether your shooting sticks or your bipod and just getting comfortable getting in those shooting positions too i know with my daughters we practice constantly the sitting position uh prone you know and Mm -hmm. and what that shot's going to feel like and getting into that shooting position but as you mentioned that and you talk about guys that don't have a plan from the distance that they're going to shoot you know it I, I, I've been with guys that are trying to set up for a shot, and you're right, they're lost. They don't know whether to try to shoot that thing sitting or whether they're looking for a limb to get on, and they're wasting valuable time that they need to get set up quick, acquire their target, and execute their shot. But also, you're setting yourself up for failure if you're trying to shoot a sitting shot out at 350, 400 yards with a little bit of adrenaline. Good luck. You know, maybe if you get your back elbow and you practiced it, but, but you're right, any of those longer shots – 200 yards and out that's so nice to get prone and just be so stable and get that elbow resting down but it takes practice you can't just think you're going to get into the best shooting position because you you think you're going to shoot them from prone and you get over there and all of a sudden it's a downhill slope you're trying to lay on and you can't get the angle right and so just that that real world experience and then real world practice i think is what would really help guys with a rifle because it is not a given with a rifle no, it's not. It cost us a 360 bull this year. Ike and I had a friend from Kentucky out who finally drew a tag after 13 years of putting in here in Wyoming. And he, he's not used to shooting long ways. I mean, in Kentucky, they can use rifles, but he's never shot an animal over 200 yards. You can't see that far there anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And we were up in, in the mountains over here, uh, up high in the high country, and a bull, two bulls come out. This is post-rut. And so we sneak around, get get right in, you know, cross the drainage from them, and it's 365 yards, which for Ike and I, that's put it on the bipods, get set up, lean against a tree, boom, probably hopefully dead bull, right? Mm-hmm. For him, he, he could not get set up, couldn't get steady, never done that before, and it cost us that bull because it got dark, and I finally had to call it off. I said, it's too late, guys. It's too dark. We need to can't shoot now when in actuality what i should have done is above us was a rock outcropping we could have snuck right out on the edge of that had him lay down on his pack flat on his belly with the bipods out and that probably would have been a dead bull and that hill was so steep when i ranged it up to the outcropping it was 17 yards further (laughs) which 17 yards i'd give that any day 17 (laughs) yards further to be dead rest on his back because it's a hillside so you can't lay down or you're looking down the hill. So he's mm-hmm. having to, you know, lean against a tree and get his sticks on. And, you know, I, I didn't want to wound the bull. So I said, if you're, if you're moving around, don't shoot. Yeah, good advice. Don't shoot. And the bull walked and we couldn't find him again. He ended up getting a nice 340 bull anyway okay. th- three days later. But, you know, it just uh, – it was my mistake. I just uh, – I should have went on that outcropping where he was more comfortable and could – could have a better chance at shooting that distance Mm -hmm. you know so and archery is the same way Mm -hmm. you go out in your backyard you're used to that it's like shooting a home court right you know Mm -hmm. where all the soft spots are in the floor Mm -hmm. in basketball you know exactly where to rip it but you go to the uh, the the uh visiting team's floor and those soft spots aren't there everything's a little different someone's screaming in your Mm -hmm. face and 
you know, the shot you can make nine out of 10 in your backyard, you're 50 50. Oh, that's exactly you know? right. Yeah, it's night and day. Yeah, yeah 50 50. So you, know, you have exactly to prepare right. yourself for that. And by doing do. that, is diversification. Mm-hmm. You got to diversify your shooting techniques and how you're shooting, where you're shooting. If there's one thing I learned from Cameron, hunting with Cameron all those years, bow hunting, is he would always stump shoot. And we were out, you know, because I filmed him a lot, and we were out just, you know, look glass and stalking moving around walking whatever he had a, a, a arrow in his quiver he'd just shoot stumps and little things you know pe- uh, prairie dog hills and stuff yeah. like that that's not going to ruin his arrow constantly and he was doing that to keep his skills sharp so he's out there with what he has on his clothes his backpack his bow the temperature the sun everything i'd see him i've seen him stump shoot on his way to make a stock you know, he wants to make sure mm-hmm. everything's going to be functioning correctly. So when he gets there, you know, he's he's as close to a real world, uh, real case scenario yeah. as possible. You know, it's a simulation. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think too many guys way. just shoot at their range and then go out and expect to shoot off a, a, off a side, side hill or a bedded buck or in a snowstorm the same with 10 layers of clothes on they would in their backyard and it's not always how it works it's not the same and yeah. you go from uh 95 odds like you were saying to 50 50 odds just because those real life situations and i yeah. know you know half of my shots come from my knees well i'm i'm 20 yards worse shooting from my knees than i am standing i just don't have that that core balance in my legs in there so i take that away I'm 20 yards less as far as my aiming. And I actually think that I'm 20 yards worse from my home range to out in the field. So I could be up to 40 yards worse shooting from my knees in, in the field. And yep. you're right, the the angles, trying to execute on these steep angles and things. And that's where, like, these these mountain shoots have been real beneficial for guys and beneficial for me, too, before season because they are real-life shots where yep. you're you're standing on uneven terrain, good downhill, uphill angles, and you have to practice that. And you realize that you're not quite as good as you thought or not quite as good as you were in your backyard and your flip-flops, you know. And, and I think just – Learning that and and having that in your brain as you're making stocks and you're making shots or you're making attempts, it makes you so much more effective to know to pass up on that 75-yard shot to go, no, I want to get closer where I'm 100% where I know I'm going to kill this thing, you know, and having that mindset instead of, you know, because the equipment in today's day and age will shoot a long ways accurately. And I think guys get a false sense of confidence with that stuff. Yeah, because they made a 100-yard shot or an 80-yard shot in their backyard, and they think they can do that, you know, on a side hill and a rock slide on their knees. Mm-hmm. You know how it is with archery. I mean, it's like it's a game of angles. It's like pool. You know, when you, the angles of the shot, the angle, the impact, the up, the down. I mean, if you've ever shot an animal, which you have, down a hill or up a hill, and you see where that arrow went in and where it came out is, is a – pretty eye-opening sometimes you know the tree stand guys really know that you know they have to shoot those whitetails sometimes so steep it looks like they're shooting them almost in the backbone Mm -hmm. and it's coming out behind the shoulder on the other side yeah you know low on the other side all those angles you have to think about and when you take your legs away that's your bipod Mm -hmm. in archery you know you take that footing away or or uh, interfere with that footing, you know, in your backyard, it's nice and level, get your spacing, right. Mm-hmm. Your weight, right. Everything's good. You get on a hillside. That's a different scenario. And, and it can really change how that arrow 
flies and how that bow performs. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And in, in just as you practice as much of that stuff as you can, like uh, even if it is in your backyard or putting pressure on yourself and then the uphills and downhills and these mountain shoots, just to try to be good during that clutch because, boy, you get a chance at one of those big bucks or big bulls, you sure want to put it in there, you know. Yeah, so. and I really think, you know, I think that bow hunting has come a long way. The technology mm-hmm. has come a long way and the bows, the mm-hmm. arrows, the broadheads, everything. But I think one of the other factors to bow hunters being so much more efficient at killing uh, big bucks and bulls than they are they were 20 years ago is those mountain shoots. Mm-hmm. I th- I mean, it's no different than being a pilot, right? They put you in a flight simulator. They're not going to let you crash a real plane, but they'll let you crash a simulator, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So those guys go in, and they give them all kinds of crazy scenarios, losing engines and crosswinds and all this. That's what the mountain shoot is. Mm-hmm. You go practice all that, and, and I think a lot of guys don't realize how much more efficient they walk away from those simulations than when they went in Mm -hmm. you know they can just have a bad day but they're learning lessons every time they release an arrow Mm -hmm. because it's as close to hunting as you're gonna ever get you Mm -hmm. know so and they make it that way those guys that set up those courses know what they're doing i mean they're gonna challenge all the corners of that box absolutely they put you in so yep and uh, i love what you said about um cam shooting all the time carrying that stump arrow that's so important on a hunt it's so easy to get so focused on a hunt and not shoot your bow for seven eight nine days and there's so many moving parts on these things nowadays and with the the strings can stretch and like it's just good to know your bow's on if nothing else but also practicing those shots and the the other thing i have my girls do quite a bit when i'm rifle hunting or my dad or anybody uh is is that dry fire practice yep man that uh, um, works so good on a rifle will you you hunt with a, a a lot of hunters for the hunt winners and things of that nature do you have them practice dry firing or practice that? yeah i try to it's yeah. funny you know a lot of guys have that stigma my grandfather did too you oh, don't dry fire the rifle like like you know like you're dry firing a bow right mm-hmm. but you know i guess it's probably hard on the firing pin but unless you're shooting a you know, Winchester pre-64 or something really fancy, a Ruger 1, uh, whatever. Buying, you know, I, These new guns, I've, I've dry-fired them a lot practicing. I've never had one malfunction or, or wear down a firing pin. Mm-hmm. You know, So I don't think it hurts the gun at all to do it, but it is good practice, mm-hmm. especially for someone who's – you want to see what your weaknesses are, let someone dry-fire it and film yourself and then look back at it. And, Watch your, your you know, head jerk Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, jerk. And I get that with the hunt winners. Luckily, the hunt winners, the places we go, they're pretty – it's pretty controlled type hunting, and so we get close. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, at Bobby's, it's hunting rifle in the rut with elk and so i don't ever let those guys shoot over 300 yards never ever ever most of our shots are actually 100 to 150 yards mm-hmm. so you're close i mean elk's almost the size of sheet of plywood that's a big target but you know i try to get them close we don't push the envelope make crazy shots uh, and they've all done done very well same with the deer i mean we get as close as we can but you really kind of take for granted how how much how fortunate we are to do a lot of hunting and, yeah. and practice in the real world because a lot of those guys don't and it's you know you can always tell you give someone a gun and see how they handle it you know how much how familiar they are with it mm-hmm. with a firearm yeah it's second nature to us but it, it's not to everybody and um, I th- I think it's it's all your your real world knowledge too that 
that keeps you uh, keeps you for those close shots, getting in close. And actually, I think it's the best way to hunt too. I know me even with a a bow and arrow. Um, you know, like you go to a target rich environment like Hawaii or like some of these places and, um, you, you just start to realize like how tough it is to execute a good shot on an animal. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're just, you want to get closer shots and me for trophy mule deer, trophy elk, I just want to be, I want to give myself the best percentage to kill that elk. And if I shoot at him, you know, at a longer distance that maybe I am 50, 50, or even 75, 25, I give myself that chance to miss that animal where if I just didn't shoot and I kept playing the game, eventually I'd get that 40 yard shot that I want. And I put it right through his lungs. And so that, you know, that was a lesson that I had to learn that I'm almost more efficient holding close like that. And just like those hunt winter hunts, um, you know, keeping those guys to those closer shots, it, it just gives them a, a better chance at success. You're just yeah. not going to mess up an opportunity. And when he does get a shot, you know, he's most likely going to make it happen. And I think it, in a lot, honestly, Brian, for some of those guys, I think it's, it's, it comes away as a good lesson because I've had to call quite a few of them off of elk and deer saying, no, too far, not right, too windy, mm-hmm. too much crosswind, we're not doing it, pull them off. And they look at me like sometimes like, what in the world are you doing? I won this hunt. This is a hunt of a lifetime, and you've called me off. But, you know, they're mostly public land DIY hunters, and they would they would probably have to push the envelope out there on public land on a hunt like that but where we're hunting i say we'll come back we'll, we'll do it we'll get it uh, we'll get a better shot mm-hmm. and almost not always but more often than not way more often than not we do mm-hmm. we get another shot usually at that same exact animal closer but it may take us a few days but we have the time and the patience to do that so i think sometimes learning when not to shoot is as important learning when to shoot Oh, I think you're right. Self-discipline is yes. tough, isn't and it? And it's not easy. It's a tough no. pill because your mind always tells you you can do it. Mm-hmm. Until you, <laughs> after the fact, it, and I've been there too, after the fact, you go, why did I do that? I knew better than that. Oh, I know. You it, know? Right? Oh, that's the worst feeling is oh, when you make a mistake man. and you knew better. Because, you know, el- a wounded elk is not a fun deal. Oh, my gosh. It's not it's a fun worst. deal. No. And, and, and I would rather have an, another opportunity yep. to kill that bull than to wound the bull mm-hmm. and know that, the jig is up and you're really going to have a, a tough, tough road to hoe on that deal. When I hear guys talk about uh, uh, elk is a bigger target, you know, so therefore yeah. you can shoot further, but elk are such tough animals in my mind. And I think I've seen things go wrong to where I just know I have to make a precise shot on them. You have to hit them in the lungs, heart or liver, or they don't die. So yep. like for me, I'm almost more precise and want to get closer on an elk and make sure uh, I, I'm real, I'm real good about, uh, you talked about angles or earlier, like I'm really good with my angles at elk. It seems like elk will always give you just a slightly quartering towards, you know, and I'm just nervous of that shot because I know it can go wrong. So, I mean, I had two bulls this year, one mudded up six point, it was probably 325. And then a bull that I ended up killing, it was 332. Uh, and both of them gave me that quartering towards shot, one for about 10 minutes there and i didn't take either one of those shots i just knew better and eventually i earned a good broadside slightly quartering away and put it in that 330 bowl and he died you know a few steps later rolled down the hill but um yeah having that self-discipline and, and it seems like you have to learn some hard lessons and whether it's from yourself or from your buddies but gosh you learn from it and then um really try to make yourself better on the next one because those elk are the toughest animals on planet earth 
They are. They're the toughest animal to kill in North America, my opinion. You know, uh, sheep are real wimpy. If you hurt them, they'll go lay down. You know, a deer will tend to look for cover and lay down. He's pretty predictable. You know, antelope wide open speaks for itself. An elk won't quit. You mm-hmm. know, even a moose, he'll stand there and take it, trying to figure out what's what happened. You usually get follow-up shots on him. Mm-hmm. An elk, he's gone, and good luck. You know, they <laughs> will go run. Forever. <laughs> they will run until they feel safe, and that could be a mile, could be 20 miles. You just don't know, and they're heavy-boned, mm-hmm. tough animals. I mean, it, it, by far, of any of the animals I've ever hunted yeah, on too. this continent, they're the toughest. Wow. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, by far. Well, and even... I mean, you hit one back, it's uh, in the guts or something like that. Man, they can just go forever with that shot. And eventually they will die, but they're just tough to uh, unravel the blood trail of how far they can go because they can go miles with that shot. Yep. So, yeah, elk, I'm, uh, precision. I want to put it right in there with the right angle and have that thing walk over and die. Yep, and I think Dan's right, a double lung. Mm-hmm. He's 100% on that double lung. And I, I hit one in Montana this year with my bow low and it must have went i mean it went through the brisket passed through must have went right under the heart mm-hmm. it was shooting downhill a little f- steeper than i thought i got caught up in the because i we bugled him up to eight feet straight up eight feet right from me and of course i don't want to take a frontal but i'm drawn back for over two minutes and then he finally saw my eyes blink ran out broadside and dan stopped him at what we thought was 30 yards my pin was set at 30 i shot and it was a little low it must have been like 38 and it had to have gone right under his heart but he bled like crazy at first it's in the snow and then just quit bleeding could not find him looked for him for two days punched my tag game over and they ended up killing him in the rifle season a month later he survived, uh, which I was happy with you yeah. know that the bull didn't go to waste right yeah it's a great I mean, outcome but he he survived it hmm. and I mean blood I'm talking blood he stood there you know how those elk do he, he, we cow called again he went back barely in the timber looking at us like what just happened and it's poor you know dri- not Man. dripping like streaming out of its chest and of course in the snow it looks a lot more than you'd normally see just because it's white so you see every literally every drop but yeah then you start going uphill sealed up bang killed him a month later all scabbed over that bull is just fine crazy they're tough toughest animal tough. on planet earth yeah, yeah god dang tough. Things are tough. I, I was talking to someone who was i talking to the other days somebody oh have you seen the john's hunt well the hunt i was telling about where we, we missed missed uh the opportunity at the 360 bull uh, the guys at Fieldcraft put together, they were with us. They're like, a, Fieldcraft's a company that does survival, like mm-hmm. these survivalist guys. And so they did a film on this hunt. And they their audience is, is survival people, you know, preppers and survival, not necessarily hunters, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was on the YouTube channel looking at it, watched the video. It was really turned out great. And I was looking through the comments, and I started answering some of the questions because they had a lot of good questions because of people who aren't hunters, but they would be, mm-hmm. but they're preppers, you know. And they were talking about the, the shot, and, and I started talking, conversing with one of them, and I'm like, you know, I started thinking about all the elk we've killed in the last three or four years. I'm like, the average one is two and a half shots with a gun. I mean, a high-powered magnum rifle, two and a half shots. 
Very seldom have I seen them. I, I have seen them go down one shot, but not often. Mm-mm. And if they do, it takes a follow-up. I mean, they're that tough. Because you hit them with a tough. good shot. Sometimes you can't even tell you hit them. Yeah. They just soak it up. They don't even react mm-hmm. to it. That's what happened with John's bull on this hunt. Is It was post-rut, and he was so skinny and mm-hmm. thin that when the bullet impacted him, it went right through the ribs, double lung, out the other side, and blew up snow on the other side. But where it blew the snow up, it looked like it went over his back because okay. his body didn't react. You mm-hmm. know, that bull in September, you'd have seen a ripple, mm-hmm. you know, with all that fat. But he was skin and bones and all that loose skin and it just zipped through and didn't even he didn't even react he just looked around walked off and ike on the video is like i think you shot over the top of him and john's like are you kidding me after eight (laughs) days of hunting right and he's going oh i screwed it up again and then all of a sudden the bull just tips over dead you know takes five or six steps double long typical double long take five or six steps oh out oxygen tips over they were all excited, of course, but it, it did look like he totally missed that bull. Mm, I like that. That's why it's always important. Even archery, I always stress this, even rifle, to go over there and look. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've had a lot of, not my personally, but I've known a lot of people who have, especially shooting long distances in that high country with deer or elk, that, oh, you missed him. Let's go look for another one. You know, and the bull's dead mm-hmm. or buck is dead in the in the timber, but it didn't react. Walked off like nothing went wrong and then tipped over dead, you know, and and that is where some of that long distance shooting becomes a real problem because guys don't want to walk all the way down that canyon, all the way up the other side, just to verify that they missed. Well, and it's tough to find the exact spot they were shooting at. They're so far away and so many uh, canyons or crevices or uh, contour that they can't find the exact spot. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, that's why... Anytime I shoot at anything with an arrow, even if I'm sure I've missed, I'm, I'm just down there searching like a madman for my arrow yep. because it can pass through him yep. just as quick as I'll get out, and he can be laying dead 200 yards over the hill. So, yeah, I think yep. that's real Got to find that arrow. Yep. Got to find that arrow. Yep. Make sure it's clean. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to circle back real quick to Wyoming before we finish <laughs> up the conversation. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's so, what we were here to talk about. So I, w- I want to talk about uh, Wyoming elk. Uh-huh. Um, so for a non-resident, um, where do you think guys should be looking to hunt Wyoming elk? Where are some of the better units? You say they're starting to spread out, uh, so they're not just around well- Yellowstone, so they're in some of these southern units. Are some of the bordering units good units to apply for to get more aggressive? Or what, what kind of uh, strategy would you give a non-resident uh, hunter for Wyoming? You know, I, I always say that don't over or, or underestimate, don't underestimate the general Wyoming tag. It's a good elk tag. Um, if you're not looking for the biggest of the big, and but you're a hardcore uh, bow hunter in particular, and you're good at uh, you're a proficient elk hunter, you can get back there and get after it. That general tag is a is a good tag. It's as good as as a lot of the limited tags in states like Idaho or Colorado or Oregon. I mean, it, it can be a good tag, wow. and they kill. Big bulls, mm-hmm. How you know, many? not lots of them, and it's a one or one or two point. Well, this year two or three point tag. Mm-hmm. So how many units does that encompass? Uh, I think there's fifty six. Wow, different units you can hunt. So a lot of options. Yep, yep, and a lot of them around the core area of Yellowstone. They actually open in September with a rifle. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, pretty darn good to be able to go anywhere and hunt in the rut with a rifle 
on two or three points. That's an amazing opportunity yes. for rifle guys to yes. take advantage of that general tag. Yes. So if you're just getting started, something to think about. If you're a hardcore bow hunter like backcountry hunting, definitely something to think about. If you're a high point holder, obviously not something to think about, but something to look at once you liquidate those points. There's a lot of guys I've talked to that have had a lot of points, get a great area. You know, when he's limited draw areas, they're 14 points, 12, 14 points. They go have a good hunt. After that, they just start hunting the general because they got their Wyoming bull. And a lot of them have come back to me and say, man, I wish I would have known about this. I wouldn't have worried about gathering 12 or 14 points. I'd have just hunted general, you know, because I'm having a great time hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're not – odds are you're not going to kill a giant. Okay, Brian? Uh, but they do kill some. They kill Boone and Crockett's every year on those tags. Um, but you're you're honestly, realistically, you're looking at a 280 to 330 bull. Mm -hmm. And for most guys, that's a great hunt, mm -hmm. especially for two or three points while they're waiting to draw Arizona or something. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're a high point holder, that's a different story. Um, you're probably, if you want the biggest of the big, you're going to hunt these areas west of Cody. Historically speaking, Park County, Wyoming, which is the county we're in right now that we live in, is like the number five county in the country, four or five, for Boone and Crockett Bulls. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, all these areas on this west side of the county here are, are where the big bulls are. The mm -hmm. drawbacks are it's rough country, lots of grizzlies, mm -hmm. you know, so, and, and they're hard to draw, some of them. You know, that's where John had his tag that we talked about with the 360 bull. Um, if you're not wanting to hunt in the grizzly country, you know, the bighorns are pretty good. No grizzlies over there. It's still backcountry, high country-ish. Uh, Do you think they're good still good for those bow tags over there? Yeah, I think so. I think they're coming back. You oh, know, good. they kind of fell on their face for a while. Uh, you know, they're, they're offer a lot of tags on those hunts. And mm -hmm. I think that, it, you know, the elk kind of moved around over there based on some of the droughts we had back in 2012 and, and various conditions outside of hunting pressure. And I think now they're starting to stabilize and come back and become pretty good hunts. Mm -hmm. You know, pretty good hunts. Good to hear. Um, you know, the desert hunts are kind of where it's at right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys are wanting to hunt. I think mostly, too, a lot of these guys that have 14 points, 15 points now, they started putting in, obviously, 15 years ago. They were maybe 30, and now they're 45. They're like, you know, a hunt out in the sagebrush in the juniper country sounds a little more my speed these days they're I don't fun to do it. yeah too down yeah because yeah. it, it's so visible mm -hmm. you're glass and you're seeing elk all the time you know and a bow hunt on those because wyoming those of you who don't know wyoming doesn't have a lot of archery only tags mm -hmm. so you have to draw with everybody else but you get to hunt all the seasons mm -hmm. and and the residents get 84 percent of the tags right and less than 10 percent of the wyoming residents bow hunt so if you have a tag that has or an area has 100 tags 84 84 of those tags went to residents but there's only like eight people are going to bow hunt so i mean you can go into an area with 100 tags and you're lucky if there's 10 people bow hunting so it makes the the Oper not only the opportunity but the, the uh quality of the hunt really high because it's low pressure you know the elk aren't being run around a lot they're bugling doing 
what elk do. Gosh, you just so, have such an amazing experience. Yeah. So I really like that cheat that you just gave out. So they have the area nine or type nine that are archery only tags. Uh-huh. But what you're saying is, is to draw one of these rifle tags, but hunt the archery season. So you're allowed to hunt September with a bow, but there just aren't many guys that drew that tag that are going to hunt with a bow due to not being many Wyoming guys hunting with a bow and due to you know, that is a rifle tag and it's a great opportunity to take a good bull with a rifle, but to apply for some of these rifle tags and hunt the archery only season. So yeah. do you think there's some good opportunity in some of these midpoint units to take advantage of that? Yeah. I, I think there is a few units in that green yes. region. That's where I put in for my areas personally, okay. in the green yep, area, too. the green chippers. And they're you know, they're not the super high draw tough to draw but they're not super easy they're kind of middle of the road you're talking five to nine points Mm -hmm. but i think there's some great i well i know there's some great opportunity in there Mm -hmm. in those hunts okay Um, but you know generally those units are not going to be stacked with elk Mm -hmm. quantity um the bull to cow ratios aren't going to be as high as say the blue chip units um but so it's going to take a little more scouting and a little more elbow grease. You're gonna have to get out a little more, get get back a little further. But there's some great opportunity in those hunts, especially like you said, you draw type one, which is the any all season hunt, mm-hmm. and then do the bow hunting. You'll get a few bow hunters, resident guys, but they're usually on the weekends, just mm-hmm. picking around on the weekends. But they really want to come back in the rifle season. Um, and, and we have a month long season for archery. Usually, generally, it's the first to thirtieth of mm-hmm. September. So you have the whole month. You know, take your time, kind of pick your season. And there's a there's some good opportunity in those mid range units. Of course, more and more guys are doing their research, so it's getting a little tougher and yep. tougher. Um, unfortunately, what we're seeing right now, not only Wyoming but Montana and and Colorado, all these Idaho, all these opportunity states, more and more guys putting in. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. I don't know if yeah, I think it's the the pandemic and the COVID guys aren't doing international hunts and going to Canada and so they're wanting to use their points to stay stateside and so we're seeing a lot of a lot of point creep coming into the system. That's why the general went from one to two to two to three points. Yes. You know, just because the the overwhelming amount of people that are are starting to draw even for the cow tags. Mm-hmm. You know, the antlerless. I mean, these are guys that want to put meat in the freezer kind of thing. Well, yeah. I know you've seen it and I've seen it the last 20 years where there was nobody putting in for these premium bow units all over the country where you could get, I mean, heck, I got a 55 tag off a point, you know, back in the day yeah. right, in Colorado, you know, it's like a, <laughs> nobody was applying days, for right? it. Yeah. I yeah. could, I could hunt G every year down here, you mm-hmm. know, was, uh, but, but it is getting tougher and tougher, but there's still good opportunity out there. You just have to be crafty. Now, what do you think about, like uh, uh, Eastern Wyoming, some of that Badlands country that's so good up north in Montana that grows some big bulls. Is there any good elk hunting out there in that eastern side of the state? Yeah, I think so. They're, they've they've got a couple new hunts, later season hunts in some of those areas around mm-hmm. the Black Hills mm-hmm. and like Area 2, uh, which is a good high-quality hunt. Uh, 116, 117, those are the Black Hills around Devil's oh, okay. Tower mm-hmm. country kind of in that corner of Montana and South Dakota. And there, there's some good hunting out there. Of course, no wolves, pretty easy country, um, but more classic elk country, mm-hmm. kind of like Eastern Montana, you know, the Custer. Mm-hmm. It's that big 
ponderosas. Yes. Uh, just rolling country, easy to hunt, but good cover. It's perfect elk habitat. I mean, that ponderosa, I mean, that's what makes Arizona so good. Is Anytime you get elk in ponderosa, rolling ponderosa hills, you're going to have big bulls. Okay. You know, that's eastern, the Custer, Black Hills in Wyoming, South Dakota, Arizona. You know, they just do, they thrive in that. Even some of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, you know, because there's feed in that country, in that timber. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like over here and where you're at. There's no feed in that timber. They have to rely on the meadows, the the slides. Oh, that the makes creek sense. Bottoms. Yeah. But they can just cruise and feed, cruise and feed, you know, in that country. Yeah, in that country, it's all good. So it's yeah. almost tough to hunt as an elk hunter that's always hunted the mountains. Because in the mountains, you know, I can predict where I'm going to see elk. Because you're right, there's no feed in that cover, not a lot of it. They use it more for bedding and, and uh uh, to hide uh, security and things, but they have to come out in those slides, those shoots, those meadows, and so you can count on that and recognize yeah. good elk country. And but, you can glass it. Yeah, yeah, but when you get into that, the Badlands or the Breaks or some of that country, it's just all good country. It's yeah. all good elk habitat, so you can't predict where you're going to see them. You just got to make your way through that country and find find what they prefer and what they like and where they're at at the time. Yeah, and it's tougher to glass it because it's more rolling. It's yes. not all, you know, straight up, straight down, mm-hmm. you know, or out your window or your, uh, at the other end of your binos to glass. I mean, you can look at a hillside. If you really know elk and know elk habitat, you can look at a mountainside and go, we'll probably kill a bull there, there, or there. Yes. Right? If yep. you know elk. Well, you go up to the breaks or out here in eastern Montana, and the elk are literally where you find them. Mm-hmm. There's no rhyme or reason to what they do, when they do it, or how they do it. They just cruise, feed. It, you know, it. they have little habits, but as far as a, a big habitual profile, it's not there. No. You know, they can be here one day and there the next. And you see it out there. Those big bulls are real unique. They'll have a neighbor, a guy, a rancher will be hunting that bull, or his kid will be, and then someone will kill the bull. 15 miles down the creek a week later you know they just they there's nothing there's no rhyme or reason to what they do and nothing that keeps them any one spot for very long yep you know and that can add its own (laughs) complexity (laughs) to the equation but i mean it grows for big bulls yep and it's easy winter habitat Mm -hmm. they winter really well i think that's the key to growing those real giants Mm -hmm. is they winter out really well and easy like in Arizona, they don't have to rely on the windswept slopes at 9,000 feet to eke out a living on little shoots of grass. You know, they're in those those big ponderosa gr- uh, stands. It's it's all good. They're protect, protected from the wind. There's feed everywhere, mm-hmm. laying under a tree, come out in the open in the sun. You know, it's, it's easy living for elk. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, and probably why, you know, Wyoming produces a bunch of great bulls, and they're big, heavy mountain bulls. They're the prettiest ones you could ever shoot. But it, it, uh, it, it, four hundred bulls are a lot tougher in Wyoming, yeah. probably due to those conditions that you're talking we about. We don't. We just. And I tell. That's another thing. You know, I talked to a lot of guys, and they're, oh, I got 15 points. I'm looking for a 380 bull or 400. I'm like, that's just that's a tall order. I mean, we ha- They do kill them on occasion in this state, but we are not known for that. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we are known for really pretty 330 to 370 bowls. Mm-hmm. Which we, make my day, by yeah. the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And most guys like me and you, that's, <laughs> hey, that's great. But if you try to put Wyoming on an Arizona standard, yeah. that's going to be tough. Now, Montana has the best. They have both worlds. Mm-hmm. you got the west side that has more like Wyoming, east side that's got the giants, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but Wyoming, for the most part, we're a great opportunity state. It's a, it's a must-apply state if you're into elk because of the opportunity we have. We have the highest quality for the opportunity that's available. It. And we, we have one of the only states, maybe Idaho does as well, where we literally have elk from corner to corner to corner to corner in this state. There's 127 elk areas in Wyoming, and every single one of them have elk in it. I mean, we literally have elk in every corner of this state now. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity, a big spectrum of country to hunt. If you like the high country, we have that. If you like the desert and juniper, we got that too. If you like the Ponderosa country, the you know, the, the uh, northeast corner, we have that. I mean, we have a little bit of everything, even to the sand dunes down there in Area 100 in the Red Desert. Literally sand dunes, and there's elk out there like crazy now. There was never elk there when I was oh, a that's kid. Wild. That was mule deer country. It's got to be wild to see them out yeah. there, too. Yeah, you would think, oh, they stick out like a sore thumb. And I'll tell you what, they blend in a lot better than you think in, in waist-deep sagebrush. Mm-hmm. You know, they know where to go lay down to be hidden. And, you know, if the sun goes down in the evening, they just start popping up. Incredibly, like incredibly adaptable, aren't yes. they? Where yeah. they, they just uh, they can they live in a habitat, and they just get so dialed at living in there that uh, pretty soon it's like they've always been there. Yeah, and they're yeah. really hard to to keep control of. I think the game of fish pulls their hair out. You know, the winter kind of controls the deer populations, and the game of fish departments use the hunters to control elk populations. But that can become problematic with private land and trying to kill cows and rough country mm-hmm. you know the game of fish i know for a fact really struggles to keep the lid on the elk populations in a lot of these areas mm-hmm. because they get so smart well you see it oh in the the valley where you live mm-hmm. they get smart I yeah. mean, elk will eventually figure out the 20 acres that the guy doesn't let anyone hunt mm-hmm. in an entire valley they will figure it out that's right you know yeah, they, they will yeah so so it's it is. Um, well, it's good elk are doing so well in Wyoming and across the West. So uh, we talked about mule deer a bit in the age gap. Um, what do you think about mule deer in Wyoming right now? I think Wyoming, if you're hunting the general units, I think it's going to be good. G and H, you know, and even K, some of the J even over here. You know, I think the hunting is, is solid. I'm not going to say it's the best it's ever been, but it, it's solid. I think that's where the better opportunity for big bucks are right now. I think the gen, the limited quota areas are off. They're still off. They still need time to rebound. So I get a lot of guys email me, have, you know, 12, 10, 10 points or more, let's say. And I think really if you can, you're better off holding on that. You've waited 10 years. You might as well wait a few more. Yeah. I mean, it's better than – them burning those points on a on a poor hunt yeah and being and disappointed too many points to hunt the generals yeah you know hmm. which take four it, to six i just um i love wyoming i love the genetics uh that you guys have here just big heavy mountain bucks i and i love those general units the g and h yep. I, I love those they're getting tougher and tougher to draw um so you you had mentioned uh, uh 
I think J and K. So uh, the unit just south of, of the G and H as it kind of rolls but, into that winter range, does that hold some good spots in that country? That's yeah. K. Okay. Yeah, K goes all the way to Utah. Okay. It does, yeah. I bet. Yep, Ike killed a 200-incher out of there last fall. Wow, I K. saw that buck. Yeah, yeah, that was an amazing buck. Uh, but the deer volume was down, but the quality okay. was, was pretty good. Okay. You know, so I think that's the moral of the story is is the quantity is down, but the quality – that is just such good buck country. The the western third of Wyoming is similar to Colorado as far mm-hmm. as genetics and habitat. Sure and is. so it can produce a big deer. If there's five deer, if there's only five deer left over there, probably one of them's a big one. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that kind of country. Yeah. It just, and those deer, you know, I've become really good friends with Gary, who's the biologist over there, and he sends me a lot of their research, him and Kevin, of what they've been discovering with all these big mule deer studies they're doing. It's it's a treasure trove of information, but it's amazing how young those deer get big. They, they will literally, he has had, he has checked 28-inch deer that were two and a half. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's incredible. Yes. I thought you were going to tell me that it was four. <laughs> Two and no. a half is incredible. No. Wow. Four, most of the big bucks they check are four and five. Yep. They have. He has never checked an 11-year-old deer. Mm-hmm. Another, he pulls a tooth, so they split it and tooth-age it. Mm-hmm. They've never tooth-aged an 11-year-old buck. Wow. Ten is as old as they get. Mm-hmm. Where you go down to Arizona, and they, they got deer live 12, 13 years old, you know, bucks. Mm-hmm. But uh, the does will live that long over there. They, they've got quite a few does that they've aged it out to 15 mm-hmm. years old. But the bucks, you know, life's just too hard on them. Mm-hmm. But they get old or uh, get big very young, very young. So that's, a, that's, a good, that's good news, right? Yes. When we have a big slide, we're not having to wait 10 or, you know, 8 or 10 years to, for them to get big, that group yeah. to get big like you would with elk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with only them only needing to get four years old. Most of those big bucks you're looking at in the high country, oohing and on over in your spotting scope are, are four to five, mm-hmm. maybe six, but that's when they start to go down. Gosh, I remember I, I found this buck and um, I hunted him. I actually killed his running mate. His running mate was older than he was, but I aged him at probably like a three or four year old deer that was pushing 200 inches with stickers yep. on them, you know, that wide 30 inch frame and then 10 to 12 inch deep front and back forks. But he was just a young deer. The deer that he was running with. Um, I ended up killing that was a 187 that was 18 inches wide, but just super heavy and looked like he had a year or two on that deer. He's the one who gave me a good shot, you know. Yeah, right. I would have shot either <laughs> one. Don't, don't get me yeah. wrong. It wasn't like yeah, I passed him for years. On that deal. But I actually drew that tag again four years later. And so I went back into that unit and I found that buck four years later. And he's one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen to this day. Like uh, uh, 220, 230, who knows? Could have been 250. What? But he had all the same stickers and kickers yeah. and inlines that that other buck had. And I had photos of him. And to be able to look at him four years apart. So I was probably looking at a three year old deer and then looking at a seven year old deer when yep. I found him again that next time. And I, I wasn't able to. Uh, find him during the archery season. I found him during scouting. I look like all heck for him. I just never turned him up. He's got a good routine. He runs in there. I spent seven, eight days in, in those basins looking for him and couldn't turn him up. But I know for a fact that was the same deer from the photos and inlines and kickers. They had just gotten big and he put more on. But yeah, that was a three-year-old deer to a seven-year-old deer in that country. Yeah. 
that's the way it is. And Gary is, he, you know, they shake their head now that they're able to collar him and really study him. Some of those, those bucks, he's had his hands on five or six times. Wow. They've netted him five or six times because, I mean, these guys have really spent a lot of time, money, and energy and resources studying these deer. And, and for a long time, they studied the does and fawns, and now they're getting to the buck portion of this study. And so, you know, they net them, net gun them on the way into the winter range, and they measure them. They actually measure their horns, Boone and Crockett, weigh them, take blood sample, all that, roughly age them. And then they net gun them because they're collared again on the way out. Of course, they have no horns then, but then they measure how much uh, body fat they lost in the winter and on and on and on. So some of those bucks, he has had his hands on five or six times. And being a biologist, he has learned so much about those yes. deer, I bet, getting yeah. to this point. He, he knows every, they have 20, I think he said 27 bucks collared. And two, la, the year before last, two of them got shot. Last year, one of them got shot. It was a, one of the smaller bucks. He actually got hit with a bow and died. Um, not from the bow archery shot, but the hunter didn't, couldn't recover him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it gives you a, an idea how rough and rugged that country is. When he's got almost 30 bucks collared and less than 10% of them are actually getting killed by in hunters. In two years, yeah. 10%. Yeah. That's the 5% And ongoing. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of escapement in there. But you look at that country and you think, oh, when you look at it in person, it's a different scenario than when you look at it on a map. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty vast, pretty big. They got so many places to hide yes. in that country. Yes, it's yeah. perfect for huh. those big bucks. But they get big early. I think it's that, you know, over time they've learned how to climb up to that best feed in the summer and out to those winter ranges in the winter to yeah. survive. So thirty bucks and um, three were killed over two years. Boy, I bet he's learning so much about that. I think you had told me about this before that he has a couple collars that he thinks go over 200 inches or that he's measured now. They're Mm -hmm. measuring them, right, when they net them. Yep. There's one giant that's well over 200, and he's a a big four-point with an inline on one side. Mm -hmm. And he's he's getting up there now. I mean, because they collared him as a mature deer. I think he was four or five when they collared him, and he's still around. So. He's in that seven, eight-year-old range, mm-hmm. like you were talking. Yeah. Well, I'll, so, t- I'll take those points from Gary whenever yeah. he's ready. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when the guys are up there scouting, you know, I'll send him a picture, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that buck. You know, if the, oh, one wow. of the collared bucks. He, oh, he that's knows, crazy. He know, you know, they know him. Like I said, he's had his hands on them five or six times. They're so. doing such great work for Wyoming, for they Wyoming really mule deer, for mule deer in general. Really That's are. just amazing. And yeah. now and they're starting good. to work with other states. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of other states are getting the funding to, to study their deer and kind of using Wyoming. What Gary and Kevin are doing is a template to study their own deer. That's amazing. Well, and yeah. I find that not all biologists are created equal, too. You 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 learn that pretty quick when you start talking to a handful of them on the phone. But it sounds like uh, Gary's the upper echelon, yeah. like one of the really good ones that knows that deer herd and and uh, really has a relationship with them and and takes pride in having a healthy deer herd as well. Yeah, and he's been the biologist there since I think 1997, hmm. roughly or so. So he's had a lot wow. of years. Yeah, and I think that's part of the key is you know, having a biologist that is in one spot for a long enough time to really understand all the ins and outs of, of what they're managing. Because every deer herd's different or every piece of country, I don't care if it's deer or elk, and, you know, learning that over time, you know, what works over there may not work over here, mm-hmm. you know. So 
that's what they're trying to learn is what what makes a lot of deer and what makes big bucks you mm-hmm. know is the keys that they're they're trying to unlock the code on that's so. cool that's what i'm interested yeah in. <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm almost out of time guy but i gotta ask real quick about why i'm wyoming antelope okay wyoming antelope you know wyoming is the state for for antelope as far as quantity i mean and quality really i mean we have more boone and crockett antelope than almost all the rest of the states combined minus new mexico which is number two um but we also have a lot of antelope a lot of opportunity it's kind of like uh elk very similar to elk we have you know 137 antelope units i think and uh, some better than others some areas are known for bigger bucks than others just like anywhere so you have your opportunity areas and you have your trophy quality um but Wyoming, if you're looking for antelope or a fun hunt, Wyoming's definitely a state you want to apply for. Um, for to get into a decent area, you know, three to five points. To get into a really good area, you know, six to twelve points. Um, mm-hmm. Just depending what you want to hunt, how you want to hunt it. I mean, we have plenty of antelope. Success statewide is close to 100 percent. So. You know, similar to Montana, if you get a tag, you're going to get an antelope. It's just, are you looking for a big one or just a buck? So, you know, if guys are trying to get their kids into hunting, those, you know, those antelope hunts are about as fun as it gets Mm -hmm. for kids. It's a lot of action, not physically tough. I mean, you don't want to take your kid on a backcountry elk hunt with a bow as their first hunt. That'd probably be a little frustrating for them, you know. (laughs) But an antelope hunt is, is definitely the opposite of that mm-hmm. so wyoming is a is definitely a go-to state for antelope and i'll tell you a lot more guys are picking up antelope hunting that were uh historically may have been hardcore mule deer hunters because mm-hmm. that mule deer opportunity is getting tougher and tougher and antelope is kind of like mule deer was 30 years ago plenty of them mm-hmm. you know looking for a big one without having a good time with my friends or family you know, it's a it's a low key hunt. I like them with a bow too. It's yeah. such a high opportunity hunt that you end up getting so many stocks on antelope, and they're so uh, so good at catching animals at close range. Like that's what they're designed for. Yeah. So they're really tough to kill with a bow. So you get a lot of chances and a lot of opportunities to get in close and make stocks and make plays. Use topography, and so you know, I always tell guys to to search out high opportunity hunts, and I think antelope with a bow is definitely one of those hunts. Yep, I think so. And it opens the fifteenth of August, so it's early. You know, before anything else really gets going. Um, so it stays keeps you clear of that elk rut. Mm-hmm time frame that everybody wants to be bow hunting so it's a good starter hunt you know for the year get your feet wet and i think honestly hunting an antelope spot and stock with a bow it makes you a better bow hunter mm-hmm. i mean you just learn how to move around animals at close range because if you can do it to an antelope you can do it to an elk or a mule deer mule deer in particular you mm-hmm. know learning how to get use any little piece of country to your advantage or waiting out a buck Mm-hmm. to get in the right spot where you can get close, which is key for mule deer. But antelope is a great way to learn all those skills without quite as much frustration because you can do three or four stocks a day if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, three or four stocks a day on mule deer is pretty tall order. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. I think it's a great starter hunt for anybody and a great way to keep your skills sharp. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, well, it's, it's good to hear that uh, – uh, antelope and, and and the elk are doing so good in wyoming and also the mule deer population that western side is so fun to hunt and such a great experience 
Um, so yeah, all we need now is to cross our fingers for the draw and, and yep. uh, draw some of those good tags you're talking about. Yeah. And I'll tell you, here's one little tip before we go, Brian, for, for your audience, which I'm sure there's a lot of bow hunters in there. I tell you what, if you play your game right, as far as hunting over on that West side of the state, you can, if you play it right, it's not real hard to draw that general elk tag with one of those region deer tags at the same time. And that is a great combo hunt to be over there in September with an elk and deer tag in your pocket or hunt the deer early, you know, cause it only goes till the 15th of September, hunt that deer early and then go right into elk. Oh, you know, back you're to right. Back. That's when, a great let the rifle tip. hunters shoot the deer and then you go into bow hunting elk. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of places you can do a nice high quality combo hunt like that where you have a real chance at a 190 buck and a 340 350 bull. I mean, it, that is an option over there and a, and definitely a a possibility. That opportunity exists. Yes. And and I always see mule deer when I'm elk hunting and elk when I'm mule deer hunting. Yeah. I don't know what exactly. that is, but when you're hunting those muleys up on those tops in there, it seems like those elk are just down more in the basins down in there. Yep, you have down on the benches. You have such a good vantage point of that country yep. that I always end up seeing good bulls on my mule deer hunts, which, uh, like you say, on the west side, it's an opportunity to have both of those tags in your pocket and create a really good hunt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Yep. Well, thanks so much for your time, right. guy. Thanks, I really Brian. appreciate it. Yep. Okay. Yo. All right. Man, um, great recording with Guy. I just love sitting down with him. And uh, we, that that podcast where we dive into Western hunting and we talk about the different states. And, and then I loved how we got into to bow hunting tactics and, and, and rifle tactics, uh, what it takes to make a good shot. It's not a given, and it takes practice, and it takes work, and absolute focus and dedication. I know at the bow, you know, as as much as I practice, as much work as I put in, I still had a couple misses this season that I'd love to have back. Uh, but the only thing I can do now is is work harder to improve not only my skill set but my execution. And having a good game plan is a big part of that, which we talked about in the podcast. So uh, I just really enjoy it. I really enjoy sitting down with um, Guy and all my guests, really, and having these in-depth conversations on what it takes because I know how difficult it is out there. And uh, I want to have a successful 2021, and, and, and part of this is sharing my journey with you guys um, so not only I can learn, but you guys can learn you know, from my mistakes and, and also from my successes. So I'll sit down, record a solo podcast coming up. I think I'll get one out to you guys next week. I haven't released that one in New Mexico yet, so I think I'll get that out to you next week. Got some great recordings coming up. Super excited about the podcast. And um, yeah, we'll uh, um, just just some really fun in-depth chats that I know are making me better and know making it's making you guys better as well. So uh, thanks for the support of the podcast. Uh, thanks for the to the support uh, Sportsman's Warehouse. Again, you can go in and, and touch and feel it, try it on, look through it. Uh, great knowledgeable staff and store locations throughout the U.S. And I really use it um, like like when I'm going on a hunt, if I need something, there's always a Sportsman's Warehouse along the way. Uh, so if I'm in the market for something new, I can just swing in and get it. Uh, you know, I know a couple years ago I swung in and grabbed some bino adapters so I could tripod up my binos. Uh, there's always something. Oh, the latest was uh, uh, radios. 
uh, you know, radios are legal in some of those southern states down there, and um, they're a huge advantage, uh, especially in the thicker terrain and things. And so, uh, stop to get some radios. Uh, it's also a safety deal of just keeping in touch with your buddy and and being able to to look off two different vantage points and then share the information. And so, uh, it it really works good. It's a it's a major asset. And so, that's one of the the latest things that I stopped by. Um, uh, sportsman's warehouse for so make sure to give them some love and uh, we really appreciate their support on the podcast uh, make sure to check out everything we got going on over there at eastman's uh, super exciting right now in the application season and just playing with the possibilities and which hunts i'm going to try to do and trying to plan out my 2021 i'm super excited about this season and and um the the opportunities that that may come up and some of these adventure hunts that that we get to go on out west are are just um they're life changing man I I just absolutely love going on them I love the adventure and so uh, just trying to plan out my fall and and get things ready to rock and and uh, I I use Eastman's MRS and the Tag Hub for a lot of that so it's a great resource make sure to check that out uh, also just using Onyx a ton. Uh, I, I love all the features of it. Um, man, I just, I love, uh, it seems like every night I'm, I'm looking into some area or the next hunt coming up or some place that I'm, that I'm looking into that I may apply for and just seeing how I'll hunt it or how I'll dissect it and, uh, how I'll find game animals in there. Uh, so, uh, always using the Onyx, always doing my rap map research, um, getting in my miles, getting in my runs, and getting in my shooting, just trying to prepare for next season. It's going to be fun. So I know you guys are doing the same. That's why you're listening to this podcast, and I try to bring you guys the absolute best information to make you guys better Western hunters, and I'm going to continue to do that. Um, Just super excited at some of these recordings we have coming up. So uh, thanks, as always, for all the support, guys. I really appreciate you, and uh, we'll check in with you next week.